I almost quit seminary halfway through. I was the only female in my class. And I thought, well, what am I getting an MDiv for? But I was just like, I really want to live out whatever your purposes are for me, God. It's not that we as these adoptive parents or foster parents are the savior of these children, but how much these children um, have taught us and our brokenness. Well, folks, we're here on episode 15. Who knew that we would make it this far? But thank God that we have. Uh, today, we are speaking with Joyce Ku Dalrymple, a second-gen Chinese-American who is currently based in Wheaton, Illinois, but she's been all over the U.S., as we're going to learn more. Currently, she's the Pastor of Discipleship and Connections at Wellspring Alliance Church in Wheaton. And she has a specific passion for raising awareness of foster care and adoption in churches. And she runs a podcast called Adopting Hope that specifically talks about that. What's really unique about Joyce, though, and the reason why I kind of was like, oh, I want Joyce to share with us her journey is that before she was a pastor, she was a journalist and an immigration attorney for several years. This pastoral ministry is actually her third career. And that's not very common. It's not very easy to <laughs> suddenly be called by God to do something completely different um, and to put your faith into that. But let's just hear how Joyce was called into that. There are many denominations, and I'm curious how you chose disciples. So the, the denomination that my church, um, Wellspring Alliance, is part of is the Christian and Missionary Alliance, um, the CMA. And it's actually a, a, a new, new to me, too. I found this church, and it happened to be part of this denomination. I have always, as we've moved around and, and we've lived in five different states, we've been part, each church we've been part of has been a, a different denomination. So in a way, I feel like I haven't had a denominational home. Mm -hmm. So I went to seminary. I went to a um, Presbyterian Church of America, PCA seminary in Atlanta. Um, but when I was going through some, that seminary, I knew I did not want to actually stay in the PCA. I was the only woman in our graduating class. Oh my goodness. And the men were all on this path toward ordination, you know, and it's not, and the PCA is a conservative denomination, is complementarian. So ordination was not open to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I just thought, you know, I have no idea where God is going to lead me and what denomination. Um, and we were about to move. Um, so actually graduated. And that next day we moved from Atlanta, Georgia to Wheaton, Illinois. Um, and I really had to just trust God to kind of lead the way as I was exploring different churches and where I would, where I would end up working. Isn't Missionary Alliance, uh, aren't they also complementarian? They are, they're actually um, debating this issue right now on a national level. Right now, men, men are ordained, women are consecrated, even though you go through the same requirements. So I'm licensed. So men and women can both be licensed. And then beyond that, um, they're actually discussing right now whether um, women should be ordained. In, in each particular church, I feel like regionally there are differences. So in our church, um, you know, um, our women are called pastors and we preach as well. Um, so um, I think it, it kind of is 
church by church. Uh, here's a good news coming out. Southern Baptist Rick Warren, a few days ago, decided to ordain mm. three women wow. clergy. Yeah. Isn't this a breakthrough? I pray to God that this will create ripple effect. Yeah, for these denominations that people have been traumatized by, been driven out by, or, you know, whatever experiences we've had as women and other marginalized folks, like, oh, there is actually change still happening. And that's yes. really encouraging to hear, Joyce, that your own church is very supportive of women in leadership. And um, we hope that, you know, your denomination follows suit as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, whether it's complementarian or egalitarian churches, I think I have been part of more egalitarian churches that still women's voices have not been um, given as much weight as men's. And I've also exactly. feel like there are complementarian, soft complementarian churches where women's gifts are really developed and they're given opportunities um, to grow and to use their leadership gifts. So I mm. feel like wherever, whatever church, um, you know, the listeners are a part of, you know, it's usually part of a larger denomination and we may not have um, the the power that, you know, to make those decisions on a denomination wide um, scale. Um, but what could we do in our own churches to foster a healthy environment for women to mm. be, be able to exercise their leadership gifts, to be given opportunities to be developed? Um, and it's really for the good of the the whole church, if, if um, women are growing and flourishing, it is good for um, the men as well and the greater body as well, um, that the whole body is growing together. Exactly. I, I have another question because your backgrounds are so intriguing. And as you, you know, practice your third career change. Yes. I'm intrigued by your journalism background, as well as your immigration lawyer's background. I can see that it serves well with your podcast and advocating for adoptees. Mm -hmm. How do they translate into your pastoral ministry? You know, I feel I didn't set out to go on this, you know, winding journey at all. Um, I um, I began um, just had a love for writing um, and speaking, and so my first career was actually in broadcast journalism, um, and then um, I did that for about three years. And um, you know, I wanted to to really be more of an advocate because when you're a journalist, you're telling other people's stories, um, right. and so at that point in that juncture, I thought, well should I go to law school or should I go to seminary? Those were the two things that I was actually thinking about at that time. And, um, you know, I wonder, I, I didn't feel a sense of call to go to, into vocational ministry at that point. Um, and I wonder if it's because I didn't really see examples of Asian American women pastors. Mm -hmm. I thought I'd love to go to seminary. In fact, my husband was going to seminary at that time and I was auditing classes and I loved, you know, studying the word of God. And I just thought that would be awesome. Um, but what would I do with it? Right. right. Um, and so um, and I thought law is just, you know, it opens the door to so many things. So I ended up going to law school. Um, 
And um, in my years of practicing law, I don't regret that. Um, I feel like it really um, sharpened so, so many different skills of um, critical thinking and um, really being being advocate. Um, but I was restless, and the, and mm-hmm. I always felt when I was um, teaching the Bible or discipling women or doing ministry, vocational ministry, I just came alive. And I've been doing that since youth group. I was, you know, looking back now, I look at, you know, you you see God's fingerprints throughout your life. When I was a young mom, I was like um, talking to people about God on the playground and starting Bible studies. Wow. And I thought, you know, this is what's bringing me so much joy. Um, and, um, and so actually about six years ago, um, my dad got really sick. He, he got cancer and passed away four months after he was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And in that time I, I stopped practicing law. I took some time off to, to care for my dad. And during that time, a couple of different things happened. One, um, my dad became a believer on his deathbed. He was not a Christian. It was just such an amazing time in my life where I felt closer to God than I had ever before in my time of grief. I felt like this complete surrender to God. I was at a crossroads and was like, God, whatever you want to do in my life, um, I give it to you. At that point, it was just like, just direct my steps. Like life mm-hmm. is too short to um, do be doing something where I felt like I, I was competent at it. It wasn't like I disliked law. Um, but I was just like, I really want to live out whatever your purposes are for me, God. And at that point, you know, what I was waiting for, um, you know, years before about deciding between seminary and law school and waiting for the call, whatever that means. It was at that point at the age of 39, I really felt a strong sense of call. Like now was the time to, um, to go to seminary, to be trained, you know, I didn't know at that point whether I would be a pastor or do whatever kind of ministry, but I was like, I'm just gonna, this is, this is it. Like, I, I feel like this is the time now. Um, and I had two small kids, you know, um, and so it wasn't easy to go through seminary, um, being older, um, juggling a lot of different other things in my life. Um, and, um, and I also felt a little bit of, um, Pushback is too strong, but I didn't feel encouragement um, in um, in my pursuit of ministry from um, external externally, um, and mm-hmm. that was that was you know from from you know Asian American culture. I'm a second gen, and you know there were certain things that you know I was career paths that I was supposed to do. You know, it was like doctor, lawyer, engineer, or something like that. Um, ministry was not in the picture, um, especially as a woman. And I still felt a little bit like that strong sense of um, kind of that achievement oriented, you know, Chinese American immigrant thing was like ingrained in me. And that was hard, I think, harder than I thought when I left law. Um, And there were certain um, parts of my identity that was wrapped up in that. Uh, that God revealed to me that were idols, mm-hmm. and um, and then um, as He stripped that away, I just really felt a freedom to pursue vocational ministry. Our identity has to be defined not by titles, but internally through God's yeah. unconditional love. And 
whether it's Asian American men or women, so many are wrapped up with external decorations. Yeah, and just this sense of um, purpose and fulfillment when we ha- when we know we're we're doing what God has for our life, and that doesn't mean it's going to be you know. Christian ministry or whatever it's, I believe that whatever, you know, secular profession, if that's what God is calling you to, like you are living out God's purposes for your life, uh, but not to let that pressure of what you should do, right? Kind Mm -hmm. of drive you in that. Um, But what is God's purposes for and God's dreams for you? Going back to what you described in your story, Joyce, you said one of the reasons why you're hesitant about seminary was because uh, you might not have had examples of women using their degree in in any sort of capacity. And I was wondering, how did you make it through seminary, not having, you know, a circle of supportive women um, to help you through? And what was keeping you there? Oh, man, I almost quit seminary halfway through. Yeah, Um, Yeah. It was it was hard because I was the only female in my class and I thought, well, what am I going, what am I getting an MDiv for? Maybe I should stop short of it. And I really had to like pray and discern. I felt like I heard this sense of call from God before I started seminary. But even in the midst of that, um, I'll have to tell you a story because my preaching professor actually asked me why I was taking that class. He asked me, why are you taking preaching? Wow. Because um, women, and, and, you know, in the PCA, women don't preach. So it's like, you know, and I kind of was like, you internalize the messages when people are asking, like, why are you getting an MDiv? Why are you taking preaching? You start to wonder, did I hear God correctly? Um, mm. And I really had to um, pray and I talked to other people and I remember one older woman at my church said, you know, Joyce, you have the gift of teaching. And if you stop short of getting an MDiv, you will regret it. Somehow that like struck a chord with me. And I thought she's right. You know, if I don't get this training and I like I who knows what doors God will open for me in the future, but I may end up regretting it. Um, And um, and during seminary, I got several opportunities to not not necessarily preach, but more teaching opportunities. It was just a budding desire or a budding gift. But each time I had the chance to to teach or speak, like I just felt like, okay, I think this is, I think God has something for me here. It took me four years rather than the three years because in the middle of that I was also doing an adoption, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Um, and um, and kind of working part time at our church as well. Um, so it was not an easy, you know, studying at night when the kids go to bed, persevering and just trying to hold on to what I felt like, okay, God is calling me to. And, um, and then not really knowing what the pathway looked like for me after graduating, mm-hmm. um, even as the men had a clear pathway of, of, you know, being ordained and pastoring within that denomination, um, that my seminary is part of, I just thought I'm, I'm. I don't know. I don't know what the pathway will be. But I hung on to um, um, this verse from Exodus 14, 14. And it's when the Israelites were being um, led out of Egypt and they're right at the Red Sea and they can't turn back because Pharaoh's army is pressing upon them. And in front of them is the sea. And they're like, what do I, you know, what do we do? And Moses says, don't be afraid, stand firm. 
um, that the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And I really hung on to the fact that I felt like, okay, I may not have examples of other Asian American women or like strong advocates who are female pastors or so forth within my within my realm. But I felt like, you know, God is going to be my advocate. He's going to fight for me. If he's calling me to this, then he is going to make a way where I don't see a way right now, but he's going to make a way. And I just held on to that verse. The Lord will fight for you. I do want to acknowledge like the, the work that you are doing um, for adoption and foster care. Um, could you just tell us more about uh, what called you into that space well, and how you see that as related to your faith? Yeah, it's absolutely related to my faith. Um, yeah, God put it on my heart a long time ago that I was probably going to adopt. It took a long time before um, it actually became a reality um, for my husband and, and myself. Um, but just the heart for vulnerable children has always been been there for me. Um, the um, the podcast was birthed um, in a living room with my friend who is. Um, yeah, who was telling me about her adoption story. Um, she's um, a dear friend who has um, adopted um, five times oh, wow. <laughs> from foster care domestically, two from Ethiopia and two from China. And they've all been kind of um, the, the, besides the domestic adoption, all of them have been older adoptions with special needs. Wow. And I was just hearing her story and, um, sort of God's fingerprints were all over them and all of the unique, the uniqueness of each one. And I really felt this sense that even to put it so strongly is that he has ordained that these children would be part of her family, but it's come through tragedy. It's come through trauma that these children have gone through. Right. And one of the things that has been a theme um, as my friend and I, as you know, th these conversations continued and we thought we really want to bring a message of hope in the midst of the really, really hard things that foster parents and adoptive parents are going through as they parent these kids. Um, because, um, because it is so challenging and it's different than parenting birth children. Um, and so we really wanted to bring a message of hope. And as we've had guests on the podcast, um, it's really been interesting because each of their stories, a common thread throughout them has been brokenness. Like these parents have either suffered some type of deep loss or grief mm -hmm. um, that has actually prepared them to parent a child who has has grieved the loss of biological parents. Um, and that has been a theme that has actually been really beautiful. It's not that we as these adoptive parents or foster parents are the savior of these children, but how much these children um, have taught us and our brokenness. Right. Um, and so even my own daughter, um, we um, adopted her when she um, was three and she had already, you know, she had been abandoned by her birth mother. She'd been taken care of by a nanny in, a, in an orphanage setting. And then she had been in, in a foster, she had a foster mom. So she had all those different losses and transitions before she even came to us um, in, in her short years. Wow. But she just opened up her heart to love us and receive love. And I just thought how brave she was to be able to 
still put her heart out there. And um, so I've learned so much from her. Just the process of of bonding and so forth has not been um, easy, but I've just learned so much um, from this little girl. And the, and each of the the stories on the podcast have been the same way that um, these parents have undergone their own journey of brokenness and um, and really learning so much through it, and have been changed by um, yeah by the story of the gospel and in redeeming and. And it's not often in a in a neat little bow, but it's often um, just still in process. And we want to share the real, and in like we're still in the middle of this journey for many of us. Um, but we wanted to provide encouragement and hope. Also, um, from different perspectives, we've we've had people on the sh- on on the podcast who've um, who have been in the work of strengthening birth families, which is so important, mm-hmm. um, so that. These these children can stay with their birth birth families, birth parents. It's because those families are not intact that they're they're in the foster care system in the first place, or mm-hmm. you know, there's there's bigger systemic things going on that need to be mm-hmm. addressed. So we touch on that a little bit in the in the podcast as well. What is the podcast called? It's called Adopting Hope, mm-hmm. um, and you can find it on iTunes or if you go to the Christianity Today website. Um, you can find it there as well. I love how you point out that you are not the saviors um, as the parents adopting these children, but they are teaching oh, you yes. just as much. Kind of just reminded me of that Bible story of, you know, Jesus embracing little children and saying, you know, the least of these is mm-hmm. is mine. And just the message you bring of being humble and like acknowledging that uh, children are certainly precious. And- Absolutely. We are adoptees, right? Yes. <laughs> <By God>. Yes. <laughs> I preached a sermon yesterday about, um, it was called A Tale of Three Mothers, the Midwives, the Birth Mother, and the Princess. Oh, wow. And in the story, it is just really incredible because these midwives were barren. And the reason they were delivering babies is, and given this job as baby because they didn't have babies of their own. Right, right. But they had to really put their pain aside. Um, and they put their lives on the line to save other women's babies. Um, and then you have Moses's birth mother, right? She's trying to keep him alive as long as she can. Um, and then, you know, when she could hide him no longer, she casts him into the river in this floating basket. And then she's the, the baby is found by Pharaoh's daughter, who's the adoptive mom. Um, and she had privilege, so she could turn a blind eye. It didn't personally affect her, but you know, this is what moves me is that she saw the baby, she heard him crying, and she, her heart was moved. She felt compassion for, mm-hmm. for the baby. And so despite her dad's edict to kill all these Hebrew baby boys, um, she chose to defy that order mm-hmm. and bring this baby. And, and it was really when Moses was probably three or four years old by this point after he was weaned that she, it says she um, brought him um, she made be, he became her son and she named him Moses. Um, and, um, I was just really touched by that because it was like, she didn't have to do that. She could mm-hmm. have just had, um, a handmaiden raise him, but she said, no, I'm going to raise this child as my own, giving him all the privileges. This is why more women need to preach. Like what kind of, what other person 
would be able to preach a message like this. Yeah, and these women are at the center of this birth story that leads to the salvation of the people, exactly. right? It's the it's um they're at the very center of the story. Um and we miss that. We miss that if we don't have women preachers. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to support Isaac and producing this podcast, our overall mission of supporting API Women Ministers, you can donate to Isaac at isaacweb.org.